Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 57. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It's me, your host, Eric Cacciatore, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry, and we do that by listening to the stories and taking the advice from some of the restaurant industry's most successful professionals. I have a great show for you today, and this intro will be quick because we have a long one for you. Just remember to connect with me on Twitter my handle is at Eric Cacciatore, that's E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, just like the chicken. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google Plus too. I would love to connect with you and find out what your thoughts are on the show. Uh, and if you have any questions or anything you'd like us to cover during the show, let me know. Or if you have any guests that you would love to hear from, I will do everything humanly possible to get them on the show so we can learn together. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the episodes. I know I have. They're filled with great content and advice to help you make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Here it is. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef David Katz. How are you doing, Chef? Good. How are you? I am great. Are you ready to drop some restaurant bombs of knowledge on us? Yeah, for sure, man. I'm always ready. <laughs> I can't wait. All right, let me just give a quick introduction, Chef, then I'll pass it over to you to further elaborate. Chef Katz got his start in the restaurant biz at the age of 11 while accompanying his mother to work. During his journey to chefhood, he had the privilege of working under a handful of great mentors, which I'm sure he'll uh, mention later when he introduces himself. Uh, in 2008, he became the chef proprietor of Maymay. Today, he holds the title of corporate chef at Creekstone Farms. Uh, he's also a sales rep, too. His accolades include Seven Hot Chefs to Watch Philadelphia Style, Top Chefs to Watch in the Country Esquire, Chef Feeds Winner, One of the Best Things to Eat in Philly, and a Three Bell Review from Philadelphia Inquirer. I just gave a quick introduction, Chef. How about you, uh, you fill in the, the blanks and kind of elaborate on how you, you know, got into the industry and how you got to where you are today? Uh, yeah, man. Well, you know, Starting back a little bit from uh, when you said I got my start in the business at a young age, at 11. I mean, that sounds pretty young. I, I obviously wasn't getting a paycheck at that point, but I, uh, I started going. My mother used to work a split shift in the summer at a restaurant that, she, you know, she worked at for like 30 years where I grew up in, uh, in, in Cape May County, New Jersey. And so I was bad, so she couldn't leave me home. So she used to have to take me to work with her for the first part of her shift. And yeah. I, used to, I used to follow the chef around uh, <laughs> all the time in the kitchen. He used to put me to work. I used to stand on milk crate and open clams and, and uh, peel lobster, you know, uh, peel shrimp and and, uh, and clean lobster and make blueberry muffin mix for the bakery. And I did that from 11 to 13, basically, and then I started washing dishes. I got my first job in there washing dishes, and then when I was 14, the next summer, I was on the line, and it was pretty much over from there. I, I had one other job uh, 
working on the beach one time, and you get three lates for the whole summer, and I expired all three lates in one week, so I got fired <laughs> from that. So awesome. then I went back to uh, yeah, I went back to the restaurant business, and that's uh, that's it, man. I moved, I moved to Philly when I was done high school, and that's where I I met my mentor and good friend till this day, Corbin Evans, and that was my first job at a restaurant called Lily's on Twelfth in Philly, on Twelfth and Phantom, and uh, yeah, that that was it, man. Just working, worked in the city, worked in Philly, and I went out. I worked in California at uh, at Plum Check. Uh, in Squaw Valley and Balboa Cafe and just kind of bounced around a little bit. Uh, always Philly's pretty much home for my career and came back to Philly and got a couple chef jobs. Uh, opened a place called M at the Mars House Hotel, a little historic B&B property in Philly and uh, did some good stuff there. Kind of got my name on the scene a little bit awesome. you know, through that job and then opened May May in September of 08. For four and a half years, and that was it, man. Sold yeah. me a year and a half ago, and now I worked for. Now I took now I took a job out of the kitchen for the first time, pretty much, and with Creekstone Farms, the, the best Black Angus product in the country, I think, and a great company. Awesome, and you had such an incredible run over at May May, and I hope to dive into some of the advice you have for us to get such a, I mean, you, you obviously know what you're doing if you can kind of create that following in just four years' time. Um, so I really am excited for this interview to find out what we can learn from you and to uh, take your advice and apply it in our own lives. Um, is there any one point during this time uh, from, you know, from the age of 11 to now that you just knew this was the industry for you? Yeah, actually, uh, I do specifically. It was... When I had that, when I got that first job in Philly at Lily's on 12th with Corbin Evans, um, you know, up until then, well, from the time I was 14 to 18, uh, I was cooking, you know, down in New Jersey where I was from, and then I liked it. I definitely liked it. I liked the rush of the kitchen and, you know, the kind of camaraderie situation. I played baseball my whole life and, and basketball, and I, you know, I was like, you know, I like team, team sports, and it was, you know, it was akin to that. I liked it, it but, I was kind of doing it for survival too, in a way. At that young age, I mean, I was doing it for a paycheck because, you know, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up with 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 much. You know, my yeah. parents didn't weren't able to give me stuff, so I had to work. And so I, I don't know, man. I didn't know that that was going to be my career. I was kind of holding on to being a baseball player for a little while. Yeah. And, but uh, but no, man. When I got to Philly and saw what was going on in that kitchen and learned what I was learning about food and about. And, you know, product and raw ingredients. Because at the shore, it's fun, but, you know, you're doing broiled stuffed flounder and crab cakes and fried shrimp, and it's pretty limited. That stuff's still some of my favorite food till this day, but it's not a, you know, you're not going to set the world on fire mm -hmm. knowledge-wise and advance like that in a city. But so my first city job there was Corbin, and it was like, besides the fact that I was just amazed by, by watching him cook, because even at that young age, all the way through till now, he's still the best cook I've ever seen in person. So, so that and just everything I learned. I mean, I didn't think I liked beets until I ate a beet that was roasted, not one, you know, from a pan. <laughs> I didn't think I liked lima beans, so I shucked lima beans, fresh, you know, fresh pole beans and ate them that way. Not, you're not frozen. I mean, not that I grew up eating frozen and canned stuff only, but I'm just saying that yeah. those kind of things is what kind of woke me up. And, and I just, I loved it. I looked up to him a lot. I, he was a chef. To me, he was a badass at the time, you know. And mm -hmm. I just, I kind of wanted to, be, you know, I wanted to do what he was doing, man. I liked the fact that he ran the whole place and 
he could tell the servers and tell the cooks and everybody to do what he wanted, and they would do it. And, and he was just creating food that he that that was his food. So yeah, I was about twenty, nineteen or twenty. I think it was about twenty awesome. that year. It was nineteen ninety-seven around Christmas time. And That's when I. I knew I wanted to be a chef. I'm so sure that it was incredibly valuable to get started at some such a young age. So many people get into the industry later on in life only to discover that, you know, it's a lot more work than they anticipated. So by getting in early, you really get a peek of what to expect. You know entirely what you're getting yourself into. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure that just, the, you know, had a, all that experience at such a young age, I'm sure, contributed to all of your success at an early age as a young man. Uh, you did so, so many great things. So thank you for sharing the story, Chef. Uh, I like to start every interview off after we get to know you um, to kind of get the motivational and inspirational ball rolling with a success or leadership mantra, or maybe it's a quote that you can think of. Do you have anything for us? Uh, yeah, if you get in the weeds, work faster. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's always been my line, but not a, <laughs> that's that's a little more of an on-the-surface uh, thing to say and kind of, you know, believe in. But, I mean, no, I don't – I'm not making one up right now, but it sounds pretty cliche and cookie-cutter, but, you know, it's about the people, man. I mean, you got to – you have to give the people – you have to make people happy. Yeah, that's like – that's – that's, that's what the most important thing. That's what it's all about, man. It's hospitality. That's what we do. That's the the restaurant industry stemmed from the hospitality industry, uh, from you know the inns in in Europe. Just people traveling, providing that nourishment, that restoration. And people forget sometimes they focus too much on the food and forget that we're here to take care of people. Um, that's what it's yeah. all about. So you're ex- ex- absolutely right. Um, so, well, they get too much. They get too much into the food and a little bit too much into themselves. That's the other problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. All right. Well. Let me ask you, what is your it factor? What personal characteristics do you have that you believe contributed to your success? I guess passion and, and determination. I mean, I, you know, once, like I said, I mean, one, once I realized, I, you know, I've just always been like that. If there's something that I set my sights on that I wanted to accomplish or want to be, you know, at the top of whatever that that category is of thing I'm doing, whether I just you know, strongest arm from the outfield or whether I'm the fastest guy on the field or this or that or whatever I'm trying to do, you know. I mean, I just, I, I want to have, I, if I get passionate about something, I get very determined. Those two things kind of go hand in hand. I mean, you can't, if you have passion and no determination, you're not going to accomplish anything. So it's those two things. I, I was just, re- I was really focused, man, for a lot of a lot of years leading up till now. I, I was just, it was just, you know, had my, just had tunnel vision on the prize, you know, and, and I just went after it. So passion, determinism, and what about your role as a leader? What is it about your role as a leader that you think uh, contributed to your success? Um, you know, I, I, I a couple things which I think are instrumental in anybody being successful as a leader, which is leading by example. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, you know, I, I guess it didn't hurt that, you know, young guys are, I mean, I've had cooks around me that were older even, but just, you know, young guys are young cooks, whether they're ages old, they're still a little green. They were green to me if they were, if they were my cooks. So, I mean, you know, that guy, that, then seeing me cook food well and display good technique and ridiculous knife skills, I'm not going to lie to you, my knife skills are, uh, pretty, pretty insane <laughs> if I do say so myself. You can't really, but you know, that's like. So what happens when you start shucking clams at the age of 11 years old, so. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I had a, I had I had knives in my hand early, man, for sure. But but uh, yeah, just stuff like that, you know, like seeing guys seeing you able to butcher and able to, you know, 
cut things well and quick and precise and, you know, and cook things without burning things and just kind of, you know, just show, show, you know, just kind of, you know, like show technique, like even on the line. I mean, as the chef or the sous chef, if I'm working a station and I'm on the line with, with these guys, I mean, you know, I'm showing, you know, showing them how good of a cook I am and like, is is huge, you know. If I wasn't a good cook, if I was, if I got in the weeds or I, you know, I was dropping things and burning things, I wouldn't get any respect. So I mean, that that's big. Of course, leading by example, and also my big thing actually is uh, I've always said I've always adhered to this philosophy is treating people fairly. I mean, I've I've been in I've seen situations too many times where you know it's one thing. I was never a big yeller. I can get mad. I have used to have a little more of a short fuse when I was younger, but I was never really that much of a yeller. I mean, I would bang some things around here and there or toss something every once in a while, but but you got to be able to get candid with people. Like, you know, you got to let them know, like, quickly exactly what's expected of them and what not to do. And, and uh, but, you know, you have to, you have to maintain a level of fairness. Like, you can't, you never make anything personal. I mean, I, I've said some pretty, pretty graphic shit to people, but not, you know, language wise, but I've never, I don't cross the line and, and call them names or call them out on anything personal. You know, it's just, you know, if I have to tell somebody that they're too slow and they need to hurry up or they can't work here anymore and mix in a whole bunch of, you know, words in between there that, that you know, my mom doesn't want to hear, then I'll do that. And I've done that a lot. And I've, I've fired people during service. I've kicked people out of the kitchen. That, you know, it's that kind of thing, that kind of stuff has to be done. But I've always been fair. Mm-hmm. I've never, like... Never treat anybody, you know, unfairly or not let them switch with somebody on a shift just because I don't like the guy and I don't want to see him have that day off. I'm just, I'm not like that. So I think that's also, people, people, if they have stuff to say about me that worked for me in the past, even if it's negative, I guarantee you nobody would ever call me unfair. And that's yeah. important. And that's so important, just being fair, like you say, and also leading by example. You can't uh, ask of people what you're not willing to do yourself. So if you just yeah, do exactly. what you expect and you work at that level of execution that you expect from your staff, they'll they'll follow in your lead. And um, by being fair, they're only going to respect you that much more and they're going to want to work with you. So all incredible advice. Thank you for sharing, Chef. The next question I have for you is on the topic of uh, your favorite restaurant experience or story. So in this industry, we have so many uh, you know stories and experiences. Maybe it's an aha moment where you just realize your niche or maybe it's a self-actualized moment, um, or maybe it's just a funny-ass story that reminds you of why you love the industry so much. Can you take us to one of these stories and tell us what you learned from it? Like, bring us down to the moment. When I was working, when I was young, and I was working, actually, when I was working at that place that I, uh, Lily's on 12th with Corbin, and another, actually, Corbin was the chef, and another really good friend of mine right now, Joe LeCavage, was the sous chef, and Corbin and Joe were buddies also and worked together, so it was like a three-man line, basically. So there was Corbin and Joe, these guys that were older than me, way more experienced than me. They were teaching me everything. All right. And I was, you know, and I was hanging. I was good. I worked at Pantry Station slash Hot Apps a little bit. I had to work the grill a little bit, and, uh, but, you know, it was like, it was a total, it was a total mismatch, you know, it's like, you know, these guys are, were, you know, you know, they were a real deal. And then here I was and one day, and, you know, and they used to mess with me. And one, one day I was, I was, uh, I was making a roux and it was the first time I ever made a roux. 
Okay. I never made one down at the shore, surprisingly, because there's usually rue involved and like chowders and stuff. But I, that was never exactly my job back then. But um, so I'm making a rue, you know, I'm making this big rue in a rondel. We were making the gumbo for lunch, All right. and uh, and Corbin Corbin Evans is a big New Orleans guy, and you know, is very great Southern food cook, and so he's all, you know, he makes great gumbo, and so he's teaching me, but he's got me making the roux first. So I'm sitting there making this roux, and it's getting dark, and I'm staring it. And I said, how do you, how do you know, you know, how do I know when this is done? You know, like what's, how do I know when it's done or like, does it, does it need salt? Like, what, you know, what do you do with this? And Corbin was like, taste it. So I put my finger in the roux and, you know, I don't have to say, I don't have to say anything else. You know what, I mean, you know, you know what roux is all about. I mean, I was up to my like first knuckle joint in roux with my index finger and, that was uh, those guys were cracking up laughing. It sounds a little morbid that those guys would laugh at like at like third, you know like third degree burns on a on a poor young guy's finger. But you know those are that was just one of the kind of old, old school lessons in cooking. You know I guess people might do that stuff nowadays, but that's uh, it was funny, man. I laughed. I mean that was cracking up. I actually tried to put it. Sorry. I tried to put it on my tongue too. I put my finger in the roux and tried to lift it up and taste it, but. It only took one second. By the time I took my finger out, I realized how hot that shit was, and <laughs> it didn't make it anywhere near my tongue, thank God. Uh, I mean, is there any lesson you took away from this story, if there was one? Yeah, don't touch a roux with your bare finger. <laughs> well, and I mean, uh, assume, assume everything is hot in the kitchen. Yeah. But also the lesson is listen to your mentor no matter what. If you're working <laughs> with people that tell you what to do, older guys or your chefs, he tells you to do something, do it, even if it's uh, <laughs> even if it's putting your finger in a room. At least I was listening, right? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, what I took away from the story too is just uh, you have to kind of have fun. You work crazy hours, you do these crazy shifts. Uh, you have to let loose every once in a while and enjoy your job, and maybe play, pay a little prank on somebody. Um, you know, as long as it's all in good fun, uh, you, oh, you yeah. take the time to just appreciate. No. The, no, definitely, yeah. So yeah, thank you so much. I got a lot of pranks. I've been a part of a lot of pranks. I mean. <laughs> You know, at where I grew up working in New Jersey, we used to go to the bathroom. You know, you had to take your apron off, of course, and walk out into the dining room. And right before we went out of the dining room in the, on the kitchen side, there was glass racks. There was, there was, you know, like a little kind of cart on the ground with glass racks stacked up. So you'd throw your apron right on the glass rack. And then somebody, would, another cook would come up after you walked out and tie your apron to the glass rack. So when you came back in and grabbed your apron, you'd yank, you'd bring a glass rack with you. So that was... <laughs> That was always kind of embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, the Tabasco sauce and the Coca Cola, you know, like there's a lot of a lot of good tricks. Well, that's why I think I love this industry. One of the big reasons is because you can have fun, you can be yourself, and you don't have to worry about HR as much as you would in other careers. So, uh, thank you for sharing the story, Chef. The next question I have for you is on the topic of enlightened hospitality. Um, what does hospitality mean to you? Um, well, it means. Essentially, what I said a couple of minutes ago. I mean, hospitality to me is is you know you're you're providing a service to people. Like there's no there's no other way. There's no you can try to intellectualize that as much as possible, or try to take a different angle on it, or spin it however you want. But I mean, that's pretty much. I'm not a walking Webster's dictionary by any means, but I don't I don't think the definition would stray much from what I just said. I mean, that's, exactly. that's just. Yeah, I mean that's what it's about, man. That's the hospitality is is providing a service, a tender, you know, a recreational service to people, and 
making them happy with with the service. I mean, it's, so can you give us an example? Um, like like we said, you know, you need food, you need to provide that service, but. What really separates uh, the great restaurants is their ability just to go the extra mile and to really show that generosity and that warmth and that you know that the the fact that they really truly care about their guests. Can you think of a time at Maymay where either you or one of your team members where you just remember them just going that extra mile to provide that incredible um, hospitality to one of your guests, or maybe it was to a, from one team member to another team member, or from a team member to a your community or to a supplier. Yeah, for sure. Um, that comes to mind. It's actually one of my favorite name stories. Um, is so we we were doing in our first year. We started well. We opened up. and We were doing lunch just on Thursday because we weren't in a great lunch location. But I had an idea that maybe if we just condensed it to one day, you know, we would you know we would maybe be able to gather some lunch business and get a little following doing so. So we did lunch. Didn't work out. Thursdays, it was okay. We had a little small menu, flatbread, sandwich, salad, whatever. And nobody was coming. All right. So, so then I thought it would be funny. Me and the manager at the time, my opening, the first guy that was our floor manager, we were talking, and we were, we were talking over a beer, a Miller High Life, actually. And I was just kind of looking at the beer, you know, and I was like, you know, fried chicken is one of my favorite things in life and we did fried chicken a couple times on that little lunch menu during those thursday lunches and when we did it you know the few people that came in loved it and i love making it i love fried chicken so i was like all right listen we're gonna bag lunch but i was like what would be funny is if we just did only fried chicken for lunch i don't know i just it was it was like summertime i thought it would be funny to have people sitting around that neighborhood out at the outdoor tables just eating fried chicken and drinking miller high life and biscuits so we were like, you know what? We're going to get rid of lunch anyway. What's the difference? Let's just try it. So we started doing fried chicken only. Long story short, that we did that for a couple of weeks, and then Craig LeBan, the Inquirer writer, came in and got the chicken, and he loved it. And then he wrote, he called me on the phone and said, hey, I'm doing a piece about the chicken on the Thursday food section. So he did that. We got really busy about, I don't know, maybe about six, eight months later. The Washington Post writer came down, Tom Sitra, I'm pretty sure so it was. He came he came up and he had the chicken, did a little piece on it in the in the in the Washington Post. So people were people were kinda of coming up from Maryland and Virginia and, and those kind of you know, like that area mm-hmm. sporadically to like have this chicken. And I mean, I liked it. I didn't think it was a joke. I mean I thought the chicken was great, but you know, we were just messing around and doing it. People, people were driving to get it, man. And so, you know, I was like, wow, this thing is kind of, you know, we, we established a pretty serious cult situation like that. So we did it for the next three years. But one time, anyway, make a short story long here. The, uh, this older couple, man, they were probably, they were probably in their seventies. They all just old, cute couple, you know, old black guy and his wife had gray hair and, you know, and they, they, they were from Virginia. They were just like, they parked their car. They came in, and they, so with our chicken, we started at 11.30 in the morning on Thursday, yeah. and we would go till 2.30 or till we sold out. I used to get, we used to do 50 orders, that's it. Sometimes we'd sell out at 12.30 in one hour, sometimes we'd go all the way to 2.30, it was kind of hit or miss, but we sold out a lot. So these, this couple rolled in, nobody else in the restaurant, we had been sold out for an hour and a half probably. Okay. And they came in at 2 o'clock, we closed at 2.30, and our you know, our server, we had one server on at the time just to do the lunch, and, and they came in, and we had an open kitchen, and I was standing right there, and I heard, and, and you know, 
Christine told them, oh, you know, sorry, we're sold out. And they said, oh, sold out? What do you mean? You know, I don't know if they, they read the article, but I, David just couldn't believe it. They were like, oh, man, they looked very disappointed. And Christine, I don't know, it came up somehow. She asked where they came from or something, and where they said, wow, we drove from Virginia. And Christine was like, whoa, you're from really? And, and I was standing there, so I went over and started, and I talked to them, and I said, hi, and blah, 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 and I told them how we sell out. But I was like, all right, you know what, sit down. We got, you know, we got you covered. We still had oil on. We had biscuits left. I sent my sous chef down to the store. He got some chicken, brought it back. We cut it. We breaded it. You know, we floured it. We cooked it. And, you know, we gave, we made sure that they got chicken and biscuits and hot sauce and a couple sides because we used to do sides too. And we had sides left. And I remember that day that the side was potato salad and collard greens. We did two. We didn't always do two. So. Yeah, so they got everything. So, I mean, that was, that was a good You know, I mean, we didn't, you know, obviously we didn't have to run out to a store and, you know, serve somebody kind of after hours like that. But, I mean, you know, no, I wasn't going to let them drive back to Virginia. You know, I was, I was that flat, I was flattered beyond belief that they, that this, like, senior, these 70s people got in their car and drove all the way up 95 from Virginia to have my chicken. Like, what do they want my chicken for? It was like an... I was like a hunter, you know? No, I, I love these kind of stories. And, I mean, that's what it's all about when we're in this industry. We're in this industry to make people happy. And sometimes making people happy comes at the inconvenience of ourselves. But when we are, when we come to those moments when we're going to be inconvenienced, you have to see those as opportunities to shine. And that's when you shine the most. I'm sure they went back home and they told all their friends about the experience. And, I mean, it's just when you when you show you care about your guests and you're willing to go that extra mile, that's when they start to talk. And it's like you're walking down the street and uh, somebody punches you in the face, what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to punch them back, not just as hard, but ten times harder. If you're walking down the street, you give somebody $100, and, and what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to pay you back you know, ten times as much. It's the same concept. So when you, you go that extra mile, take care of people, great things happen. And I'm sure that's a huge reason to why you're so successful. Your four-year stint, uh, it was four years, right, May? Yeah, yeah, just, four years there. You just yeah. exploded. You were known nationwide, and it's because you're, you're. I'm sure it had a lot to do with that willingness just to, to take it that extra mile and just to, to be so interested in other people's happiness. So you're an incredible. Yeah, person. definitely. So thank you for you sharing. Know, be, Sorry. Yeah, for sure. Be, being inconvenienced is part of what we do. If you're not, if you're not inconvenienced a few times a week, then you know it's just some, you know it's, it's not normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. The next question I have: Can you remember what your biggest challenge was in this industry? When you're younger, the biggest challenge is just kind of you know the hours and the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that that gets set to death for sure. But I mean. You know, I've, I've, I've missed weddings and funerals and graduations and whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a challenge. You know, you, you struggle, even though you're really into it as a young guy. I mean, you know, you definitely have those conversations with yourself about, man, you know, do I want to do this? Or, I mean, this coming up Saturday, all my friends are going to this place or, or whatever. My, my sister's graduating and I can't go or whatever, you know, it's yeah. like, but you know, you kind of, you know, you, you kind of struggle with that a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and then as you become, when you become a chef, I don't know if there's going to be a, what's the hardest part about being a chef question, but I'm going to, the answer is going to be the same, I guess. Challenge wise, the biggest challenge I can think of is getting people to do what you want. I mean, that, that's the hardest, that's the biggest challenge. Like making, making food good isn't, isn't the hard part. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, not to say that my food was the best or you know, it's like so easy for me to make good food, but you know, it, it, 
after you pay your dues, though, and you pay attention, and you establish technique and taste and, you know, and discipline with food, then you become a good cook technically. I mean, making good food isn't that hard, honestly. I mean, doing it, doing it in a restaurant setting, you know, sure, it's got its challenges. You have to, you have to source food properly. You can't overpay for things. Yeah. You have to make it all work, but... But getting people to do what you want them to do what advice is do you have? by far the hardest thing. To think. What, what advice do you have, Chef, uh, to overcome that challenge? If you could, like, break it down into, like, a couple sentences. Yeah, hire Mexican guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, that's, uh, well, that's kidding, not kidding. I know people hashtag that all the time. But, um, but yeah, uh, hashtag kidding, not kidding. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, actually... I guess to answer that, going back to a couple minutes prior, is like being, you know, taking care that you're a good leader and that you're fair. You know, yeah. if you can, if you can get people drinking the Kool Aid, you know what I mean? Almost like a, you have to establish kind of a cult situation in your kitchen. You know, you can't, you can't have people, you know, leaving in three months because they think that the guy that opened the restaurant down the street is doing cooler stuff and they want to go there and this or that. You know, you gotta, you, like. And it's just in a community where a lot of guys are tight. We're tight. In Philly, I was tight with a lot of guys, actually. And, you know, I kind of different. I don't want to fear off too much. But, you know, we used to do, like, a lot of, you know, like, uh, collaborative dinners and cooking and stuff like that. And that's very important to me. And I help guys out. But at the same time, there's a competitive edge. And there's, there's a, you know, you got to kind of cultivate your own team and take care of them and look after them. You know, you, you don't want guys stealing guys from you and, you know, you don't want guys to leave, you know, so you want to, you want to establish like a, a philosophy and, and just a kind of mindset in your kitchen and throw some things in there, some incentive for them to stay, pay them as much as you possibly can. I'm not one of those guys that's like, you know, oh, I'm going to pay you five bucks an hour until you show me, you know, it's like, I'll pay going rate top dollar or whatever fits our budget, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to expect a lot out of you, but like, I know... I know how the world works, man. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not, even if you're a young guy and you got four roommates, you, you still have to, you still, it costs money to live, man, you know, so you got to pay people, you got to, you got to take care of them, you know, you have to keep it a little bit loose when it's time to be loose, show that you're a person, show that you can relate to their problems, you got to be, you have to be a counselor, you know, you have to be a money lender, you have to do, you have to, you have to, you have to do all sorts of stuff like that. So, I mean, to get people to do what you want, yeah, you got to kind of like get them on your team, Take them under your wing when they're young. They just kind of like try to keep them. And if you keep them there, they'll do what you want. It's just, I mean, it's just respect, really, and all around. Just treating people right. Uh, you said you use the word cult, but really, it's just a family atmosphere. Uh, you you take care of yours, and if, they'll, if you take care of them, they'll take care of you. And uh, it's, it's not yeah. just your inner people; it's your community. You take care of the other restaurants. You work together. You support each other. Um, there's a big picture there, and that's what I'm hearing. And it, uh, you really—it's those people that are willing to work, uh, not independently but inter interdependently with others that can be really successful. Um, yeah. And, uh, oh yeah. So yeah, all great, incredible. And another. Advice. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, definitely. Well, another another big part of that on the flip side to what I, of 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 the valuable guy, and you know, getting them to drink your Kool Aid is that. When you have guys that 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 aren't buying in, you gotta get them out of there. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't have you can't have the cancer guy on your team. You know, it's like oh, you know, it's just it's just yeah, it's just like in pro sports. You know, you got a guy that's great. Like when all these teams used to deal with Terrell Owens, it's like oh, he's arguably the best receiver in the league, but you don't want him on. You can't have him on your team because he's gonna bring what you're doing down. You know, and it's just like I don't care. I've I've been in that situation. I've had hot shots that are. 
you know, that can work two stations at a time. You know, it's like, but, you know, if they're not, if they don't, if they want to talk back and they don't want to listen and they want to show up late and just think they're hot shit, it's like, you got to go. Because you, you can't, the guys that you have that are in your, that, that are in your camp, you can't have them seeing this other dude or have this guy talk to the other guys when you're not around and have them turning them, you know? It's like, you got to, you got to, you got to get that out of there. And then, you know, you talk to other guys too. And if you, the guy becomes a no-call, no-show guy or screws you somehow, then that's where you tighten-knit camaraderie with your other fellow chefs come in handy. You got to make sure, you know, you, you try to, you know, you pass the words and none of your other buddies end up with, with that, with that shoe hawk, you know. You don't want them going into your, into your friend's place and screwing him too. So, word it. travels fast, especially in, in my city in Chile, man. It's, uh, you yeah, know, it's, a, it's a tight-knit help. group. I'm, I'm already seeing how it works over there. Uh, just talking to a few of you guys, you definitely are a tight-knit group. Um, it's tight-knit so, nationally. It's yeah. tight-knit nationally, let alone in Philly. You know what I mean? You got it. Uh, so true. Um, well, that's all the questions I had for the, the first half, which is a little bit longer. Uh, we're going to dive into the part of the show I call Knowledge Bombs. This is meant to be a little bit quicker moving. Uh, you just dropped some big old bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready to go, Chef? I'm always ready to drop bombs. <laughs> all right. Uh, the first question I have for you is on the topic of employee retention. I think we kind of just already tapped on this a little bit. But, um, you know, what is, if you could just break it down to uh, one single adv- piece of advice to keep employees around, what would it be? Treat them fairly. All right. I love it. That's good enough. I'm not going to dive any deeper on that. We just talked so much about it, but you're absolutely right. You have to, you can't expect people to be good to you if you're not good to them. So Exactly. Great. Treat them like people. Um, so there's so many resources in the industry, whether it's a book or a magazine, um, maybe it's a website. What was one uh, resource you loved uh, to kind of say on top of everything, or maybe a book you read that you'd recommend to anybody in the industry? Yeah, I, there was a the book, you know, the book Culinary Artistry, the softback. I book have from. Uh, I've heard of it. Um, I have not had anybody mention that on the show yet, though. Okay, um, well, cul- Culinary Artistry, I used to pretty much buy for all my cooks. That was yeah. that was like that was like one of my bibles as far as. A resource, you know, as, as far as a resource and a reference book, and that, that book, that book's incredible. And there's, it took some years, but they, you know, there's a sequel to it. It's called the Flavor Bible. I have that too. I like it, but culinary artistry is was just an insane book. I mean, what, so that, what would you say the biggest lesson from that book was for you? For me, I'll yeah. tell you what. The, the biggest lesson actually was. Uh, I mean, there was there were some good little chapters about you know about being a chef, becoming a chef, kind of things we're talking about now. Yeah. Valuable lessons. Some some chefs actually share stories in that, if I'm not mistaken. Some old school chefs. But I mean, the thing that I used to use the most was towards the back. There are a whole bunch of pages of flavor matches. So at the top of the page, it would say beef, and then there'd be three pages of all these things that go with beef, and then you sit. Yeah, and there would be, you know, there'd be parsnips, and then two pages of things that go with parsnips. Like that, as a young cook, when you're coming up and kind of trying to establish, you know, a style and kind of know, you know, just know how to make food that makes sense, instead of you know putting wacky stuff on the plate. Yeah. That book, that part of that book was just like gold. It sounds valuable like. beyond beyond a dollar amount to me. It was crazy. Not oh. the book was expensive. I'll have to check that one out. I have heard of it. I'll have to check it out. And if you're interested, just go to the show notes. Uh, you'll find all the links there. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. The next question I have for you is who is one innovator or one innovation that has your attention? I know you kind of out of the, you've been out of the game for 
um, a couple, maybe about a year now. But can, can you think of, are you saying on top of any innovations or any innovators that are really just killing it? Um, yeah, that's a good question, too. I mean, you're right. I've been out for a little over a year and a half. I think I... I think I have my finger on the pulse still a little bit, but at the same time, a lot of the modern stuff or, you know, just kind of things that have been developing over the past year and a half, I feel like I am a little, I am a little old man on it, but I mean, uh, um, well, I mean, maybe it's, you know, do you think of a chef that you just really admire uh, what they're doing that's innovative at their restaurant? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, okay. I mean, I don't know how many guys, have said Rene Redzepi since you've been doing this show. And you know what? When I first, my first exposure to him and what he was doing and, you know, like what he does and stuff, I wasn't that interested. And to be totally honest with you, the fact that it's rated the best restaurant in the world, I think is, I mean, that's all an opinion. And I, my opinion would be not even close to the best restaurant in the world, even though I haven't eaten there, just because I, I can just tell you that that experience doesn't even come anywhere near what I would think is the best food to be served. But I respect the hell out of it at the same time. And I, since I've been seeing more and more of what he does, I mean, he, he's, he, he fits the bill of being an innovator, and I like what he's doing. So I'll, I'll throw him out there. I'll can you uh, give I mean, us an example of what it is that he's doing that you think is just really cool? Yeah, I mean, just his his closeness with with wild, you know, with wild food and just foraging. I mean, that that's his thing that, you know, everybody knows pretty much. But, yeah, that just kind of, that in the way, I mean, I've seen him cook things or, you know, put together dishes. And one thing that I've noticed that I really like, even the ingredients could come from anywhere as far as this goes, but it doesn't hurt that he just, you know, it's these just insane ingredients that are from very close to his to his base, which is also cool. You know, that's probably the coolest part. I mean, but the way that he, it seems like whenever he's demoing something, that he cooks food really, really gentle. You know, and I and I like his understanding of like how to layer flavors. I think is is, is awesome too. I mean, you know, I've seen you know, I've seen things where he's getting some sea beans of some sort there, you know, where he is, and obviously it's, you know, it's different than where we are, but whether it's that or some kind of seaweed or kelper, and he's kind of holds it in the salt water where it's from, or even, even cooks it in that water or cooks in the dirt, you know, cooks potatoes in the dirt that they, that they were harvested from. And I just like things like that are really cool. You know, he doesn't always just like rip something out of the ground, take it back to his place and then just, you know, cover it in butter that maybe came from, you know, yeah, you know, 150 miles away. Well, it doesn't matter how far, but, you know, yeah. it's just kind of something, whatever, not, to, not that it doesn't make it good, but it just kind of, it layers the flavor. It's almost like the philosophy in Italy mostly where, you know, people drink the wine, you know, you know, they're eating food and they drink the wine of that region. You know, it just, yeah. it all, it all has a, it all tastes, it just tastes right. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're, if you're in Tuscany and, you know, uh, you know, you hunted for a boar and you killed it and made a boar ragu and you're eating tagliatelle with this boar ragu from the boar came from behind you four miles in the woods. And then you're drinking, you know, San Giovese from vines a mile to your right. And it's like, it all just makes sense. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, that's kind of how he layers flavors on one plate, you know, on a dish. And it's cool. His food looks, looks great. And like I said, for me, 
I eat there once, and I bet you once would be enough. But other than that, I really respect <laughs> what he's doing. Ah, it is cool stuff. I mean, you can, your your passion is just shining through right now for the food and everything. Um, the next question I have for you, Chef, is what's your best business advice for somebody getting started in the industry? Um, best business advice? Don't do it. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, now, best business advice would be, well, yeah, okay, I mean, a couple things, actually. Can I say a couple things? Sure, or yeah. Just drop like one bomb. All right. You can um, drop a bunch of bombs, man. As long as they're big bombs, that can help us out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a, a couple things for sure. Okay. Number one, make sure you're ready. That's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a broad thing to say, but there's I've seen, and it goes on all the time. You know, you get a guy that's that loves food, went to culinary school, got out of culinary school. Got worked for three or four years as a cook, maybe made it to sous chef. Granted, even if it was in four-star restaurants in New York or great places, but you know, you're five years out of school. Your parents have money. Your uncle has money. It's still on the open the place. That's always been my dream. Here we go. Like, you know what? If you went to school and you've been working for four years, five years, you're not ready to open a place. I don't care who you are. I'm here to tell you that you're not ready. You don't know enough. Don't do it yet. So. Being ready is putting in the work, man. Like, whether you're a rich guy, you, you're from money, whether you're not from money and you grew up poor and you need to chase only the high, highest paying jobs, but it's just like, do, get yourself in a position to do whatever you can to work in the best restaurants that are, wherever you are, work in the best places, work with the best chef, and understand that it's a marathon. You, you, you should work and learn for a while, for over a decade, in my opinion, you know, like to, to get to the point to where, you know, you're going to open it. Look, if you open a cafe that's doing cool sandwiches and takeout, well, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not saying a guy that went to the CIA and cooked for five years in New York or, or San Francisco or wherever in great restaurants isn't capable of having a great panini place. But, you know, if you want to open a full-service restaurant and kind of try to mimic what you've been doing in those great restaurants you've worked in, you you, you got to – you gotta just be ready. So being ready, try to work as many, you know, try to work the front of the house a little bit, try to work pastries, try to, like, do, do everything, you know, and just, like, just, you know, put your head down and get ready. Yeah. And then besides that, I mean, make sure, well, I guess part of the readiness is, like, organization, you know. If you haven't opened a restaurant, you know, there's no shame in going and getting either a buddy that has done it or a consultant, fix, fix consulting fee into your startup capital if you have to, but get somebody, that knows exactly how to source tables, chairs, POS systems, um, get your inspection done, get your kitchen set up to pass inspection, you know, understand what the wage tax and the, and the payroll taxes are in your town when you're crunching your numbers and doing projections. Because if you think, if you're crunching your numbers and you say, okay, five guys at 50 hours a week times $10 an hour is this much money. No, it's not because it's payroll taxes. And that's like a whole bunch more. It's 30% more probably or 29% more. So just, you know, get somebody to help you or, and you know, make sure just, you know, you got to, you got to be ready that way. And then the other, the other way is I hate seeing people go in undercapitalized, man. It's mm-hmm. like if you, you know, if you get the opportunity, if you have everything else I just said, like if you either have that knowledge or you have, your buddy John, who's open restaurants, or you're paying, you know, C and C and B restaurant consultants, whatever. You have all your ducks in a row. But well, your consultants should tell you this. But if you have all your ducks in a row and you have, you know, one hundred and seventy-four thousand dollars, 
then you're exhausted to all of your resources, your dad, your uncle, the regular that ate at the restaurant you worked at before, and then a small SBA loan on your personal name for 40 grand, and you scratch up 174, it's not enough to open a restaurant. Just put it on the shelf for a while so you can get more capital. But you can't, you got to understand how much it costs. And with that, with that knowledge of how to go about opening the place, either with that consultant or that buddy of yours, once you crunch all your numbers, do your projections, blah, 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 you better be, you better be fixing in your budget a bunch, a bunch of other shit money. You have to have six months of payroll, rent, utilities, hard costs, variable costs. You need to have that backed up somewhere because, you know, sorry, water break. Would you like, <laughs> you know, if you, if you open and, you know, things are, you know, nothing's guaranteed. I mean, what's the success yeah. of failure? Like, was 90-10 there? I heard it's a little better now, but when I was coming up, it was 90-10. Now, you know, it's like crazy, but there's no guarantees. I mean, but maybe you'll maybe you'll hit your stride in nine months and really start. But for those first nine months, dude, if you don't make payroll and you don't have a nest egg somewhere of that money built in from your startup capital money, how are you going to make payroll? Then you're not going to be able to pay people. Then you're not going to be able to pay your meat guy, and then you're going to go on COD, or they're going to cut you off, and all your good all your good raw materials aren't going to come because those companies know you as a no payer or a slow payer. So you gotta you gotta make sure that there's a little reserve. Mm-hmm. So build that in. Don't be undercapitalized. And lastly, I know you thought you were dedicated while you were working, and maybe you were, but as you were line cooking, you, you know what I mean. Look, you can be 80 hours a week. You know, and you're working like crazy. You got burns all over your arms. You have no relationship with anybody, no girls, no wife, nothing. All of that, once you open your own place, you can kind of multiply that by a few more. So when you're going to open a place, just like dedication, you got to step even your dedication up to another level because it's for you at that point. It's all yours. You know what I mean? It's like if you worked 80 hours somewhere and then you get your own place and you're in a position because you're down cooks, to where you have to work 103 hours, then you have to. What are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to not do it? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to, that's it, man. Be ready. Be capitalized <laughs> properly. Be dedicated. Know that you're going in. You're going in in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, you're going in hard. But Absolutely. don't, don't, don't take a knife to a gunfight, man, because there's, <laughs> there's guys, there's guys on, on every block, especially in Philly, where we got this tiny downtown and, uh, metric shitload of restaurants and it's yeah. like that in other cities too but you know you're you're gonna open a place on 20th and walnut and you got greg vernick up the street doing what he's doing and you're gonna not have any nest egg money and not be able to weather the six month storm i mean you're not gonna make it so you got to be ready man because because no. <laughs> greg vernick's in vernick every day besides the day they're closed so you better be doing that you better be in there today you're closed too try to outwork him or else you're not gonna make it you know, all incredible advice and what you're, I mean, this is why I have the podcast. This is why I created it to, to take this kind of advice from people like you to kind of reset people to, you know, maybe think twice about opening that restaurant if they're not ready, maybe to sit and to plan it, to get ready and to put money aside just to, to play it safe. Um, and just to make sure that they, they know what they're getting themselves into, uh, Usually this is where I ask the question, are there any questions I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview? Um, If you can't think of anything right off the top of your head, I have one that I think is a great question for you uh, just because, uh, you know, with your recent past. um, Can you think of anything? Do you mind if I ask? 
No, fire away. I'll I'll think a little bit on the on the background. Yeah. So um, you you left May May, and uh, you're quoted to saying one of the reasons is because you just wanted to focus on other things, and you wanted to spend time with your family. What can you? What kind of advice can you give to somebody? Um, you know, with the effects that a restaurant has on a family, things we should take into mind if we are married or we have kids and we're thinking about opening a restaurant. Just what what, what do you have for us with that topic? Um. Well. Go out and get yourself an extremely understanding wife or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's where. <laughs> not that you can always control that, but that's where it starts. I'll tell you that, man. Um, you know, my my wife. I mean, we just had our eighth wedding anniversary on, in July. Yeah. Well, it's July now, but July 11th. But we've been together for 18 years. So, you know, she she's great. She's pretty much been with me for like the whole ride, and she's she's. She's a rare breed, man. She's always yeah. been super understanding. I mean, maybe it works because we weren't together all the time, and, you know, knowing me, you know, maybe that's how a girl can exist with, with, with my ass and not be around me much. But <laughs> but she's, I mean, that's big. I mean, if you if you have a partner, you know, you can maybe try to make sure you're communicating well and try to convey how much it means to you and, and your passion to her so she understands, you know, where you're at and just doesn't kind of think that you're, you're doing it, and you might lose focus, or it's your flavor of the month or at the moment that, oh, I want to be a chef for now. Like, you know, make sure, I mean, if it's someone, you know, make sure she knows that you have your eye on the prize for real, you know, mm-hmm. what it's all about and what the end game result could be. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it can turn very lucrative and very successful, and you can ride off into the sunset as these restaurant couples and have eight restaurants and travel and have a huge house and, you know, there's a lot of guys like that. You know, it can work out like that for sure. But, I mean, you know, you got to make sure that you have your wife or your, your girlfriend is your is your partner. That's, she's the most important partner in the equation, usually, because once, once, once things start going awry at home, then you start losing focus, and then the whole ship can come down. But, yeah, I mean, that and just, you know, I, I mean, try to, you know, as much as I say, you know, you got to be able to outwork the guy down the street and stuff, that's true. I'm not, I would never take away that. But also understand, this is something that I wasn't great at necessarily. I had a small restaurant, but you have to be good at being a delegator, and you have to trust some people because you can't do everything by yourself. You just can't, you can't do it all. You can't do it all alone. You'll, you'll burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll hurt yourself physically. That kind of stuff happened to me. I mean, there's... There's reasons for me why I left what you said, what you read is absolutely true. And then there's there's reasons that, you know, that weren't in print anywhere. Like, you know, stress stress almost killed me. You know, I had a, I had a stroke once. I mean, you know, it's like I tore my feet up. Like I got a I have a foot that is that takes thirty minutes when I wake up in the morning to even work. Like my walk to the bathroom at six thirty in the morning it's like it's like a hop. I, I can't even step down on it. It's got to warm up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before I can even walk on it. Um, you know. So I mean, it's you know, it's uh, no, it's not. I hope you yeah. didn't mind me uh, trying to get personal there. But oh, I mean, no, no, it's fine. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's it's all good. Look, I'd rather tell somebody like you this kind of stuff than than uh, you know than Fubu's or something. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, but what I was trying to I was hoping to uncover when you kind of touched upon it is like you don't marry like when you when you're married and you have a family. Uh, it's not just like you're going to your job. Your your restaurant is your your family is married to your restaurant. It's a family. Oh yeah. And, Look, I uh, I lived 
I lived above May May the whole time. Yeah. The second and third floor was was you know was was my was my residence. So yeah. you know one one of my one of my boys was born there, not yeah. in the unit, but at the hospital. <laughs> but anyway, so, but yeah, you know, I had you know I have two sons. My younger guy was born while we were there. I mean, it was all that whole just being in that building. Period was just like it was the it was the best of times and the worst of times. You could say, you know what I mean? There was like. There's a lot of stress. Like you couldn't get away from it. It was, it was, you know, it's a, it's yeah. major. You have, you have to be ready for it, man. Absolutely. Well, uh, unless you wanted to add anything to the discussion, Chef, I've asked all the questions I want to ask. Uh, it's been a little bit longer than usual, but you were dropping so much value. I didn't want to stop you. Uh, whenever you know a guest is talking great stuff, I just let him go because I know it's going to help people. So uh, thank you for everything. You were an incredible guest. Um, before we completely wrap it up, who is one person you think could make a huge contribution to the show? Somebody you admire personally? Oh, man. Um, well, it's a good question. I have a few. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of great guys. I think, uh... Don't hold back. I'll go after anybody you think would be, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody who can contribute oh, and yeah. forward to the next generation. No, definitely. Um, you, you know, I'll, I'll throw out, I'll throw out my man, uh, Matt Ridgway. You know who Matt Ridgway is? He's a, he has a great company called Pork Salt, P-O-R-C Salt. He cures, it's just essentially, you know, a charcuterie company. He, okay. he makes bacon, he, he makes, he makes bacon, guanciale, you know, Tessa, all, he, he does a lot of pork. It's mostly pork, pretty much, hence the name Pork Salt. Yeah. You know, he does a lot of foie gras work. He's out in Bucks County. He started Pork Salt. Um, first, I, well, he's been a chef for years. He's the first chef of La Croix in Philly. He's been a chef of some great places in Atlanta. He worked for Gunther Seeger in Atlanta. Um, he's, a, he's a great cook. He's a great guy. Pork Salt is, is, is a great company. And now he has a restaurant called The Pass. And he's in Bucks County in Stockton, New Jersey. Um, so, he, yeah, so he got himself, like, a kind of old general store awesome. type place. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so he does – he runs Pork Salt out of there. His restaurant is open Wednesday through Saturday, I believe. He got a really good New York Times uh, write-up uh, a few months back. Um, yeah, man, Rich Ridgeway is the man. I, I've always – I like that guy a lot. I, I like I like his food. I like his philosophy. He's about my age. I think he's, like, 37. He kind of came up like this – like, he understands – He's got a good understanding for like the kind of old school and just like the values that are getting skipped over nowadays with this with this new generation and that's very dangerous actually. Um, but he's uh, he 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 knows he, he's he's an OG man. The dude is he's he's original. So he would be he'd be a good guy to talk to for sure. I mean, so that's that's one guy. I mean, I. I love, I love Matt Ridgway. Talk to Matt Ridgway. He's, he's an awesome dude. All right, um, Matt. If you're listening to this, I'm uh, going to be coming after you. I can't wait to uh, learn what you have to offer to the audience here. Um, and is there any way we can connect with you? Um, I mean, I know you, you're, you're, um, you're selling meat now. Maybe if anybody's interested in your product, how can we connect? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, Creekstone Farms is, like I said, I mean, we, you know, I think it's the best black Angus product in the country. Um, you know, we have a good, we have, we have a good following, you know, a lot of Creekstone in New York and Philly and LA and Vegas and everything in between, you know, uh, beautiful Midwestern, uh, grain fed cattle, pure genetics. Um, you know, we, you can, you can go to, 
to creekstonefarms.com and check out a lot more about Creekstone. It's a pretty good informative site. Um, you know, if anybody needs anything from me directly, my my Creekstone email is dcats, D-K-A-T-Z, at cstbeast.com. <clears throat> you can feel free to email me, no problem. Um, yeah, just look out for us, man. We, you know, we do a lot of events. We're always, you know, Creekstone's at New York Food and Wine every year, South Beach Food and Wine, Palm Beach Food and Wine. We do a lot of the Share Our Strength uh, Taste of the Nation events. Like in Philadelphia, the last two years, I've been uh, the the chef chair of that event. And so, you know, I bring Creekstone with me, and, you know, we have a Creekstone table where, you know, where I display some beef and, you know, give everybody a taste of some great beef. Uh, this, this year at New York Food and Wine in October, Meatopia, Big, that, that big, awesome Neatopia event is back, and it's part of New York Food and Wine. So we'll be there in the VIP area with Pat LaFrieda Meats. Pat LaFrieda is our biggest distributor in the country, and they distribute all of New York, New Jersey, Philly. Um, you know, those, those guys are just, you know, like the geniuses of the, of, of the meat world. And, and Pat, Pat LaFrieda himself, I think, is going to be at Meatopia cooking the whole side of Creekstone beef. So it's, uh, you know, if you can get tickets to Meetopia at New York Food and Wine, come check us out there. But yeah, man, that's uh, that's about it. That's that's my contact. Awesome. Come at me. Great. I'll have all the links in the show notes if you want to connect with Chef Katz. Uh, you were an incredible guest. Um, I mean, there's no secret why you were such a success and why you will continue to be a success with all of your endeavors. Uh, thank you so much for all of your advice and your mentorship. And I'll be sure to keep in touch. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Another great episode here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef David Katz, you're awesome, dude. Incredible advice. I really, really loved your story of hospitality where you, you helped this couple out of Virginia who drove all that time just to get to Philadelphia to try your famous fried chicken. But it's those moments where we get inconvenience that we are put out of way to shine and you just grow to show like you just gave a, a, an incredible example of what you should do in those circumstances when you have the opportunities to shine and just to go the extra mile and just to, to make your guest happy um incredible advice and you were so just straight and um honest and uh brutally brutally honest with your advice and um yeah you, you really just let it out for us and make sure you're ready before you get involved in opening a restaurant when you think you got it all figured out start over and really dig and make sure it's what you want to do and make sure you get the help you need and i mean you just really really spelled it out for us i won't get into detail it's all there in the episode if you want to check out the books that were mentioned in today's show just head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com episode 57 and uh yeah, uh, it's all there. All the recaps, all the links, everything we talked about today. So don't forget to check it out. Also, don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Google+, Twitter. My handle is at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, just like the chicken. I would love to hear what you guys think about the show, and I would love to get some folks on the show that you want to hear from. So let me know who they are and I'll do everything humanly possible to get them on the show until next time. Peace out.